Survival A to Z, the podcast. Strategies to thrive from business for life. For each episode, I've given my guest a list of words, and from those, they choose two or three to explore and unpick. In this episode, Lisa Strutt chose support. Used to always being the giver, Lisa is currently supporting her husband through stage four pancreatic cancer. He is young, only 47. They have three teenage children and they are in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. So Lisa also needs supported, but that is something she has literally had to train herself to accept. It is not something that has come easily to me. Having always been the clever one, Lisa finds it difficult to shed the suspicion that requiring support perhaps suggests failure. I think it probably comes from, do you need support because you're not capable? And why does she feel this way? It's completely a learnt behaviour. I think that, for me, became ingrained as a military spouse. It occurs to me that in order to receive support, you need to be supportable. And those two things are not the same. Um, the support of my family and friends was really material to my survival during the build of my business. Perhaps I could have done it if I were entirely alone. And yet I think that um, I think of that time and I realize that if I had been entirely alone, I would not have gone into business at all. <laughs> I would never have felt the need. Um, but yes, given I had my kids and given that I stepped off the cliff into business, their support of my daily madness was incredible looking back. And yet Lou Holtz, who's a famous American sports coach, said, when people need love and understanding and support the most is when they deserve it the least. In other words, it means that you are failing in some manner and probably should be dropped from the team in his case. But somewhere, someone believes in you and lifts you up, I guess. Support means many things. It means to hold up, to bear the weight of, to endure, to back up, to sustain, to nourish, to strengthen, to supply a means of living. And to be supportable means to be capable of being held up, carried, sustained, or maintained. So my question for you is, is it possible to be both in life? And which are you most of, the support or the supportable? Whoa, Alison, that is a really good introduction to that whole area of support. I would say that I am... Um, definitely more of the person who's been supporting others my whole life. I'm the eldest of four. I had huge responsibility growing up and I was relied upon to do chores, to get a job, to help others in my community, in my family. I was always considered the academic one. So when I went to grammar school, it became the default in our whole area where I lived that you would just go to Lisa for things. So Lisa would write your letter to the housing executive if um, someone had a complaint about an overgrown hedge or a broken window or something like that. If anyone was applying for a job, I would write their application form for them. If they needed a covering letter, I would do it. And that happened not just in family, but in wider community. So it was no surprise that my my first job was in 
training and development. I've always been supporting. I'm a coach. I'm a go-to person for people in their in their business to just have that sounding board, to have that person uh, to whom they can be accountable. So that is something that has been a golden thread throughout my my work life, my family life. That's been the thread of your life, that you've been the support. Have you found it difficult to become supportable? In one word, yes. It is not something that has come easily to me. Let's unpack that a little bit because, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I can think of 17 reasons why it would be incredibly difficult. But when you think of others supporting you, what is the main emotion that kind of first comes to the fore? I think it probably comes from, do you need support because you're not capable? Or do you need support in order to accomplish something more? So if it's, if it's about support to accomplish something more, that's something that fits really well with me. I'm a collaborator. I love to collaborate. I'm a connector. I have an amazing network of, of people all over the world that I've met through the military, that I've met through coaching, through um, living in five different countries. So when it comes to connecting people and helping other people accomplish something, that's that's something that comes very naturally to me and I really enjoy. If it's that I need support to achieve something in business because I can see a greater good or a you know a higher goal, then that seems to me obvious that you would want to connect and collaborate and seek support and ask for advice because it's a, a clear goal. I think the challenge for me is if I personally need support, that has been a harder obstacle to overcome. And I think that is I think it's it's completely a learnt behavior. I think it it stems from coming from a working class family. That idea that you've got to push yourself, you've got to keep going, you've got to achieve that there maybe isn't support for you so you've got to go out and make your own fortune I think that for me became ingrained as a military spouse I think the military spouse life is one where there oftentimes is no support forthcoming even if you were to ask for it so it's easier not to expect it and I I would say that that's that's been my experience that Do you it think w- it's somehow a feeling of failure when you need emotional support? That you think to yourself, I am in some way not quite as strong as I should because if I were just strong enough, then I wouldn't need this kind of personal or emotional support. I think that's probably perceived it certainly in my 20s and 30s. It's not something that I would subscribe to now. I think it's a strength to be able to ask for support because when you ask for support, 
it enables someone else to, to give something to you. And I think there is joy in giving. I'm a giver. I enjoy far more than receiving to give. And so I think I've learned to reframe it that actually means that I could be stopping someone else from giving the best gift ever. And why would I do that? So but that's amazing. That's amazing, though. I mean, that's that independence is so deeply ingrained that that you have had to actually reframe the feelings when when you require support. The like these deep, deep feelings that are so so hidden inside you that you have to reframe it to be if I can't accept their support then I'm taking something away from them is your is one of your key threads of of rationalization it's amazing I think it is a very you're right I it I think it's probably what are you Presbyterian were you brought up as a Presbyterian by any chance or anything like that no there's there's another there's another whole podcast in this Alison that uh, we haven't got time to go into but I'm I'm from a Northern Irish version of a mixed family, mixed marriage. So my mom's Catholic and my dad's Protestant. And um, yeah, we, we were raised in, in that environment. So I, I, as a child, as a very young child, I went to both places of worship. And um, I would say that I have a very deep faith. It's not depend on one ecumenical tradition over another. But the learnings from those two religions can be, well, really different, actually. So from what I understand, the Protestant faith is all about self-reliance and, and, you're, and you're never good enough, ever good enough. And the Catholic faith is more about forgiveness. You know, you must have been learning those two tricks as you were, as you were growing up, even if you weren't aware of them. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's right. I'd say there, there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of that in my, in my childhood and my upbringing. I can remember times of, of, you know, just wanting to do better and better and better. I think that that definitely came from you've got these gifts and you've got these skills and talents and, and what are you going to do with them while you're on this earth? Are you going to make a difference? Are you going to make your life count for something? Or are you going to squander it all? Casting my mind back to my childhood, that was definitely something that occupied my thoughts. I'd say that were th that's maybe where the achiever in me comes from. That and the fact that my mom had twins five years after I was born. She went into hospital to have just one child and she came out with two. So I would say my nose was put out of joint as well a bit, Alison, and um, that's where some of my striving comes from. Notice me. Um, I'm still here. Um, please give me your attention and praise. So maybe that's that's a big part of it too. Yes, well, attention and praise is, is the opposite of being supportable, isn't it? Because when you're supportable, when you need to be supported, to allow yourself to be supported, you need to drop away the things like um, achievement and so on. You need to drop all that away and allow the support to come to you. 
which means you need to strip yourself bare. And that that is actually quite a difficult thing to do for a lot of people, particularly high achievers like like you, Lisa. Do you think that there's anybody who can thrive without support? Maybe survive without support, yes, but can anybody thrive without support? I'd say the answer to that is is no. There's that saying, no man, no woman is an island. We should reframe it. No man or woman is an island. Even when I cast my mind back to my life as a military spouse, when the guys would be away at war or on deployment, there there were people in my life who supported me and I supported them and there was a mutuality to that. And I think in order to not just survive but to thrive and to learn and grow, you you need to have support. I think maybe the use of the word support or being supportable, even the terminology around that can be challenging for people. I think when you put use the word thrive, as you just did, that idea that you could get better, that you could improve, certainly appeals to the achiever in me. And if you could do that with the support of others, then it seems like a very sensible way forward. There was a term that I heard a while ago, and it's um, in the book Option B, which was written by Adam Grant and, and Cheryl Sandberg. And it's an alternative to post-traumatic um, stress disorder. And they talk in the book about post-traumatic growth. And I think that's that's a really powerful way of looking at support and being supported, that if it enabled me to grow, and get better, better today than I was yesterday, then support and being supported is definitely something that I can subscribe to. Tell me this, how do you deal with, and you mentioned irritating support earlier, you know, sometimes people think they're being supportive and actually they end up being something else entirely, and they can even be damaging. How do you deal with difficult support? You must have had quite a lot of experience of that at this point over the last year in particular, and certainly the last two. So how do you deal with that difficult, patronizing, irritating, even damaging support? What do you do to not offend, I suppose? Or maybe you do offend, maybe you don't mind. Maybe you just say, stop it. I don't know. I think it's back to the framing around it. Most people have a good intention and it's their way of of feeling useful, feeling like they're contributing, feeling like they're being helpful. So I tend to let it go and um, have, again, it's about having somewhere to vent to. And um, that's one thing I would recommend, being able to vent. And I think I, I learned some practical tips along the way as well, Alison. Things like I will do uh, an update every few weeks, which I will just send to everybody, a generic update. And then to my inner circle if you like my my core group of friends I'll give a more candid insight into how things really are how I really am as opposed to the generic factual update of of how John's treatment is going or or you know where we're living or how we're we're managing I think that's that's quite important that you distinguish between the two not everybody's your friend and not everybody has a right to know what's going on 
because that can be quite burdensome and it can really zap your strength and it can um it can end up doing a lot of damage because you have then a lot of unsolicited responses and emails or thoughts or have you tried this for example um the number of people that said to me have you sought a second opinion that is just one of the most annoying things that someone can say to you when you've been told your um your husband is going to die have you sought a second opinion don't you think we've thought of all those different things now, now it's not to say that sound could sound um disrespectful and and that's not what i'm trying to get across it's not everybody has the right to um to give you their input and certainly you have to learn what you're going to ally in and what you're not so it's back to that word learning again Alison that there's there's learning in this and I've learned to um appreciate some people's input over others and it's coming back to that idea that everybody has a good intention they're, they're, they they want to help in some way um tell me this lisa just um if you don't mind so you were when at the start of covid at the start of the lockdown you actually moved away from the family home before the beginning of lockdown and uh, stayed away for how long seven weeks was it well John was out of the family home for seven weeks. And for the first two weeks of that, I was going between um, the apartment where he was staying and our family home where the children were staying. And that pretty quickly became unsustainable. Uh, There was also an increasing risk um, of infection for John with me doing that. He had just finished his final cycle of chemo a number of weeks before he moved to the apartment. And so he was immunosuppressed and it was a risk for me to be seeing the kids and then coming down to the apartment where he was because they were still at school at that time. So I took the decision, the difficult decision to move to the apartment to care for him and the children were on their own at home at our family home and you have since come home in the last couple of days so we're not out of lockdown but you have decided to come home what made you decide that and are you glad you did well there were two things that contributed to that decision the first was that everyone had been symptom free for at least two weeks and we felt that we could successfully isolate John in two rooms of the house if we come home and and the second thing was time is not on our side and the longer we were apart from the children um the harder it was really I think we don't want to have any more time taken away from us than is absolutely necessary and so we felt that it was a good time to come home so that John could at least be around the children 
and they could see him and they could um, pop in and out and chat to him and take care of him the way they had been. So I'm um, over the moon that we came back. I mean, it's it, it was met with all the um, drama that I would have expected. They told me, Mom, please, please don't make any comments about the state of the house when you come in. So it's that achiever in me, Alison. It comes back to haunt me every so often and the, the desire that things should be a certain way. But I had to just let it go. And um, everyone was fit and well. And we had a lovely dinner party on Saturday night all together as, as a family. The five of us, we dressed up. I, I made a lovely Italian meal. We used to live in Naples. It's one of the um, places we lived um, when John was working for NATO. So we have a fondness for Neapolitan cuisine. And so that's what, what we had on, on Saturday night. And it was lovely. It was very special. And uh, of course, I'm, I'm delighted to be back. And 100% the right decision, obviously. Yes, I believe so. I believe so. And, and John's happy to be home too. And, and the children have said, it's just nice to have us around again. And um, just have those conversations and... It's lovely for me to take care of them as well and cook for them. And I would say there are quite a number of pizzas and um, chicken pies were consumed in my absence. So it's back to cooking from scratch and at least I know they're eating well, Alison. Absolutely. Lisa, you are inspiring, even if that's embarrassing. You are brave and you are supportive. And... I just want to say if there's ever anything I can do to support, I hope that you will shout loud and never feel, when the day comes, never feel that it's anything less than completely normal to need the support. Alison, thank you very much for those kind words and thank you for choosing me to come on to your podcast. I know when we first met, I just find you absolutely hilarious. I nearly fell off my seat, I don't know how many times, uh, when you were speaking during your interview. And I honestly thought, there's nothing more for me to add as I was closing out the conference that we were at. But it was an absolute pleasure and uh, an honour to meet you and really to have this opportunity to connect and talk over this um interview has been such a pleasure of mine thank you very much i am loving lisa's management of inverted commas support as she says not everybody has a right to make themselves feel better by being a busybody about your business but having learned about what to let in and what to push away lisa has also learned how to accept emotional and practical help at this most frightening of times for her as she says Post-traumatic growth is the art of learning from, not being diminished by, events. Lisa is a survivor. She will make it through, and the support she will receive along the way will sustain her far beyond the pitch point of this trauma. This is the Survival A to Z podcast. My guest was Lisa Strutt. I'm Alison Hogg. Till next time, may you be able to give and accept support whenever it is needed.